Hello and welcome back to another episode of Politics on Draft with me, James Tabor. And me, Kartik Sawney. Join us as we go through the political news of the world and try to make sense of everything that's going on. Each week we'll talk about current affairs, political topics and offer some insight, research and opinions along the way. We'll also be bringing on some special guests with interesting stories and their experience of politics. So whether you're a massive politics nerd or someone who simply wants to know more, you're very welcome to join us every Friday from 8am, just in time for your morning commute. So get comfortable, get a drink, and remember, the best politics is always on draft. Hello, Kartik. How goes things? Uh, things goes well. Um, how are you, James? Yeah, no, I'm I'm okay. Um, very got big episodes uh, today for the listeners uh, yeah. to enjoy. But uh, first of all, what I, I'll say, what what are you drinking now? But uh, we actually did the main drinking on the second part of the podcast. So, yeah, uh, you, you, what do you go on to drink, Kartik? I, I, I went on to drink Beaver Town, which is an IPA, but I think it's an IPA. Someone's going to call me out yeah. on that. I had Beaver Town. It depends what Beaver Town, because there's Gamma Ray, which is the session, and Neko, which is the IPA. Wow, that's sad for me. I go to the pub too much. I have no idea uh, what that is. And uh, yeah, but what are you drinking now? Uh, nothing. Oh. Okay, uh, <laughs> I just did have a coffee, so um, yeah, I mean, I had a coffee about an hour ago, but yeah, and then I did oh, went on to drink Chardonnay, which I still have a bit in the fridge, so I'm looking forward to having that tonight, right? Stuff, let's go on. Um, let's so go on. two things to talk about. The first thing we're going to talk about is Gary Neville. Last week, we said, about... Neville? Oh, god, yes, I've I, see, this is what you've done to me now. Uh, Gary Lineker, last week, we <laughs> hypothesized whether or not he would get or sacked or made to stand aside and match of the day. Um, he temporarily did. He said that he reached the decision, but we all know there was a bit of pressure from the BBC uh, chairman there. Um, he boy, well, it was decided that he and all of his other presenters were going to boycott match of the day, um, causing widespread annoyance from viewers. And, you know, the public really came out in support of uh, Gary Lineker. Uh, he ended up getting reinstated after the weekend, um, and supposedly the BBC are going to launch a independent inquiry into uh, freedom of speech and impartiality at the BBC. We know there's a bigger issue here to do with free how the at least the government views freedom of speech, because mm-hmm. like we said last week, there were so many MPs writing to like the Daily Mails to the BBC. So no, it wasn't just it wasn't MPs; it was Tory MPs. Yeah. It was so, specifically Tory MPs. And in terms of BBC impartiality, I mean, we're, we're ignoring the bigger picture here in terms of how many people who are at the top of the BBC bureaucracy have funded or been a part of or worked with in the past with the Tory party. So we need to call that into question of to what extent is that impartiality? And a lot of people did. Alistair Campbell went on and absolutely slated the BBC on the BBC. So I thought it was quite interesting, but it pissed me off in the sense that we're talking about this when there's a legal migration bill moving forward. We're talking about this when at that time next week was the spring budget. Now the spring budget has happened. It was yesterday. And I just thought there are much, much bigger issues that we are, we have just failed to address. And I think, of course. Yeah. And I think, and as I said last week, I think that Suella, this, this situation with uh, Gary Lineker probably Suella saw as an opportunity because it shifts the focus, doesn't it? And mm-hmm. it makes it so that we're talking about a guy, whether he's going to be running match of the day on a regular basis instead of whether or not 
the government is going to be running the uh, uh, the Foreign Office and the Home Office correctly by mm-hmm. making sure it adheres to standards that were set in 1951. But clearly, mm-hmm. you know, they're trying to flip-flop on that a little bit. But I think we, we'll move on. Why don't you bring us up to date? Because yesterday was Budget Day. We were both in Parliament and uh, it yeah. was... Yeah, big day. Yeah, I mean, it was... I went in thinking it was going to be a big day. It was surprisingly a very thin day. It was a lot of work, but not much actually came out of the budget. It was a bit of the reaction was, is that it? Um, you know, from from my side, the, the biggest policy focus is the NHS and health and social care. But there was almost nothing on health and social care in the NHS. There were some bits, which I'll mention, but there was near to nothing on what, Basically, the DHSC or the Department of Health and Social Care is the highest spending department in all of Whitehall, and they made no new significant spending commitments, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's just come out this morning that potentially uh, the the NHS uh, union has potentially reached a deal with the government for a 5% increase. So my... I'm just trying to think of this logically. Maybe they didn't put it in the budget because they like those conversations were happening real. Time. That's only a part of it, James. And and, and, no, and I know, I know. I'm just sort of like and the, and the thing with the government and negotiating strikes is the government for the longest time over the, over the last what for the longest time and it's that their thinking changed two weeks ago, they they didn't acknowledge really the existence of other unions. They only were really negotiating with the RCM, which is the Royal College of Nurses, on a pay dispute and thought, oh, look, we've fixed it. Now they're only negotiating with one union, which is Unison, and that's that's all that's happening. So I don't think this is going to fix the broader problem of pay and pensions within the NHS or within all of the, the the entirety of public sector. So we needed a mention within the budget. I think everyone needed a mention of higher pay rises in the NHS for almost private companies in uh, in the rail sector. We we needed that, but there wasn't any of that. So yeah, I no, I I do I do I do agree. And actually, the issue is that it's 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 such a big problem the NHS at the moment. I mean, like. I've known people who've spent literally hours waiting in an ambulance queue to just get seen. And people who have spent 10 days in hospital, which after review, they probably didn't need to. So there's definitely Mm -hmm. problems that, I mean, the NHS needs to modernise. And I know that there'll be some whispers in from the very right of our society going, yeah, and that's privatisation. It's not. It's not. It just requires a... More funding and actual proper management and proper, mm. you know, like these are task force. These are, you know, proper devolved sort of sections of the DHSC to properly work out how we're going to have a good NHS. But if you've not got back in from the Treasury in terms of a budget, you're in Yeah, I mean, that's one big thing. And it's inter- it's interesting that you mentioned the Treasury because one big thing I was expecting which actually you'll hear that I mentioned on Tuesday when we were recording it, because I, I was almost 99% certain it was going to come up in the budget because it was so obvious, is the NHS workforce plan, which basically means that we're going to increase the number of medical school places in order to have more people working in the NHS in the long run. 
um, or as Labour likes to call it, an NHS fit for the future. Um, but there was no mention of that. And all they said was, oh, it's coming soon. But for this government, coming soon means in the next six months or after the next six months, because Sajid Javid, when he was Home Secretary many moons ago, uh, mentioned the NHS workforce, workforce plan, I think in June 2022, and we still haven't had anything. Yeah, and it's surprising that they didn't actually go ahead with that, because just quick economic uh, commentary on this. Um, NHS stimulates economic growth, because effectively, you know, for free, the public are able to get better quickly, which puts them back into work. So that fills the market with confidence. And so I'm surprised that the Tory government, who are apparently, you know, the best at managing the economy, self-proclaimed, didn't decide to go ahead with this because the markets would have reacted very well to this. If you've got long term projects for increasing public health, Mm -hmm. but they didn't. And so it's not surprising that economically the markets were a bit like, meh. But we've already spent longer on the NHS than the Chancellor did yesterday. So let's just actually move on to the other sides of the budget. And I'll just steam through them really, really quickly. There were OBR forecasts that inflation is going to uh, fall from 10.7% last year to 2.9% by the end of the year. It's good news. But if you look at the actual charts, in terms of economic growth, we're still half of what what we were in 2022. It's not even, we're not even talking about pre-pandemic levels. We're talking about what damage the Liz Truss government did and how we're still recovering from that, which Jeremy Hunt seemed to miss in his in his uh, uh, budget speech. He he seemed to blame Labour for you know since the last time there was a financial. More, he spent more time talking about Matt Hancock than he did about his predecessors. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then there was also expansion to levelling up funding, which which was 12 new investment zones, which... Or, James... 12, or 12 new Canary Wharfs. And if you've ever been to Canary Wharf, it's the most lifeless place in Britain. So, uh, yeah, if we've got more of them coming along, then uh, great for your JP Morgans, not so great for your usual residents who just see these big sky towers around them which funny enough are not occupied think about canary wharf they have so much housing there but it's not occupied because the rent is too high kartik carry on that's my rent yes so there's also 11 billion pounds to defense budget which ben wallace will be very happy about but that is only 2.5 percent of gdp by uh, by 2025 he also unveiled great british nuclear and he he was talking about great british nuclear by the way it sounds oddly similar to labor's plan of great british energy but he also said that there would be smaller reactors everywhere and i think that's just a, such a great idea to have smaller reactors dotted around the uk which is definitely not going to cause a nuclear fallout in the next 30 mm-hmm. to 40 years but there's also we're coming back onto the nhs deregulation of pharmaceutical companies which basically means that if a medicine has been approved by a trusted regulator trusted regulator by the way was not defined within the budget we're going to have to see what the details are on that but by a trusted regulator then they don't have to go through a regulator here in the uk basically mean medicines are rolled out much quicker that i to be honest support because as long as the trusted regulator is actually properly trusted um, the framework for that which will probably take a large consultation process anyway so yes exactly 11p less on alcohol duty um and i thought by the way on that, I thought there was a 
perfect line that Labour could have used where where Keir Starmer could, could have gone, isn't it time we call last orders on this chaotic, out-of-touch government? And I wrote that down in my notes when I was watching it. But I thought, maybe a bit too cheesy. But he, and he probably wouldn't come up with it right before he's about to go on the dispatch box. The big one was abolishing the lifetime allowance on pensions, which basically means... So, a lot of our current listeners probably won't know what the lifetime allowance for pensions are, so I'll just explain what it is. When you start saving up your pension, there is a certain amount you can save before getting taxed. That amount before yesterday was 1.07 million. So 1 million and 70,000 approximately. They basically lifted that cap and it's gone to, you can save an unlimited amount of money for your pension without getting taxed. Labour's gone, no, we're going to um, reverse that because it seems kind of like a terrible idea and taking a lot of tax out of the public system. That is basically what was that? Yeah, that is that is the budget. And it lasted about 45 minutes. And for a budget that lasted 45 minutes, it probably could have been summed up in about 10 minutes and it would have made no difference. So We summed um, it up in five minutes. <laughs> so. Exactly, we've done that. But anyway, we are about to take a break. And we're going to come back with our interview that we performed two days ago, just for reference, uh, with the uh, TikTok influencer, the Champagne Socialist. Um, we're very happy to have him on. It was a very interesting conversation and I hope you like it. So we will see you after the break. We're back from our break and we have with us a special guest. You probably know him as the Champagne Socialist or you don't know him, but we now know him as Harry, um, and he's here with us. Hello, hi, hi Harry, guys. how, are, how you? are you? Lovely to be here, thank you for having me. So Harry, what are you drinking? What am I drinking today? Right, I'm drinking something called Abbott, which is by the Green King. Um, I found <laughs> this in the back of my fridge, um, so I don't know who put it there, but I'm going to drink it. Um, just need to pick a pint glass to drink it out of. I've got a Moretti glass, a Heineken glass, Starry Pramon, and a Madri glass. All Nick's from locals, support small business. Um, Great. I'm trying to, you know, Prava glass, that's quite nice. Perfect. Yeah. Or, I like the indentation in it. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, nice, it's all about uh, the taste. It's, I mean, I've never, it's an, it is an IPA, so, you know, it could be hit and miss. Um, <laughs> let's find out. No, I've never been a fan of IPAs. Are you guys fans of IPAs? I don't mind an IPA. Wait, what are you guys doing at the moment? Uh, we said at the start of the podcast, but I'm having a Beaver Town. Okay. Um, and James, you're having a. I'm having Chardonnay. Ooh, I'm okay. Wanker, yeah. yeah see, that's of... that's a fair reaction. Every little bottle of prosecco on my uh, my windowsill, which I bought my first day of university, um, and I was going to drink on graduation, but in like all the hype and events with graduation i forgot to drink it so it just sat in my bag and it's probably um, a good idea that you didn't if it was just sitting outside oh um, yeah no, should we... you know just walk walk onto the stage swig in my bottle like I'm, i wasn't <laughs> that right this is oh that's a nice color i feel like this is going to judge my point oh 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 okay okay <laughs> stick a flake in that um <laughs> i don't think that's bad i'm not really i'm not really the pint pourer you're gonna have to. It's gonna have to set for a while. Right now, it's a taste <laughs> test. Yeah, actually, three and a bit fingers. I don't think that two th fingers. That's... Two fingers. That's not bad. It shows my counting skills. Um, let's try it. It's actually not bad. It's actually bitter. 
I'm happy about that. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm glad that someone put that in my fridge. Thank you, Joby, did that. There you go. It's a little bit warm, but well, it's not, I can't tell <laughs> really whether it's... Yeah, no, it's all right. No, so, James, good. why don't you kick it off with the first question? Yeah, so, um, so yeah, so as, as Kartik has, has already said, obviously, your name, Champagne Socialist, yeah. you kicked that off three years ago. Um, great for us, because we've never had a guest who's <laughs> obviously got champagne and actual <laughs> alcoholic beverage in the name. Yeah. Uh, you have actually done an, an, a video addressing this, but how did the Champagne Socialist come about the name came about because it was something my mother used to call me when i was younger a champagne socialist is someone who espouses yeah uh, um, yeah <laughs> it's a, um, a champagne socialist is someone who espouses socialist principles and uh, beliefs despite living a life of uh, luxury i put that in, in quotation marks because i i don't so for example tony ben was often referred to as a champagne socialist because he came from a very uh, well-off comfortable background which i feel some people might consider to be an understatement um but um, he he was a, a socialist through and through, um, and it's usually a term that's used to diminish diminish someone's argument um, and sort of say, well, what, what, what do you know about you know struggle? And it's like, well, I, I don't know anything about it. I've never personally lived through it. Um, and for me, the the um, it that kind of came uh, sort of where the name came from. You know, I'll be talking about politics with my mother, sort of twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen, um, and she would you know I would say something that she would consider to something that a champagne socialist might say and it always stuck with me really um never as like a disparaging as a way of dis dis uh, dismissing my viewpoint but it's kind of like a you know as a, a sort of laughy jokey way and then um when i started doing tiktok i thought well i need a i need an account name that sort of stands out and um uh sort of gets people's attention and i thought well why not champagne socialist that was already my instagram handle before I even started doing TikTok. I was actually very much anti-TikTok at the start of 2020, believe it or not. Um, and then- So the pandemic, pandemic got to you. Pandemic rolls about and the, the, everyone got TikTok. You've got TikTok or you've got COVID. I got both. Um, I don't know which one <laughs> I'd rather have. Um, so, you know, it's, um, it's kind of just where it's gone from there, really. Yeah. So in terms of, so we'll, we'll, we'll go into social media because that's where, that's your jam, really. Yeah. What's been your experience with social media? How have you found it over the last three years? Over the last three it years, it's been start? a very, I've, I found it a very rewarding experience um, in terms of the traction that the page has got, the opportunities that have come with that exposure, um, the ability to do uh, work in various fields that I never would have thought would have been possible, um, that I'm very grateful for. And um, yeah, so for me, it's been a very positive, uh, very positive experience. It's been very rewarding. Apparently. Yeah, and I th I think you, you've t you've certainly hit an, a niche because I think like I mean obviously the the beauty with TikTok and we're going to talk about the sort of like the goods and the bads of TikTok yeah. is that you know things just hit and because they're so easy to kind of you know you literally are just scrolling. I mean I remember somebody said to me it's like TikTok is so similar to the likes of tinder because it is that yeah. just ease of like swiping well it, it buys stuff. into this idea of like you know like the whole like 15 minutes of fame thing i don't know who was it was it that said that but like everyone at some mm. point will be like we'll have their 15 minutes of fame tiktok kind of the tiktok algorithm kind of um 
acknowledges that sort of idea because you can have someone go viral who's got like 300 followers and they get like a, a million likes on a video um so and it's entirely possible because i've seen it happen um i know for me personally when i was first starting out and you produce a video they don't think will get any traction by the end of the day it's on like fifty thousand likes and you're like wow that was just something i thought of in my head and you know why why is this doing so well um and i think that's <laughs> the case with um with a, with a lot of a, with a lot of tiktok Mm. But especially, I mean, especially with politics, because yeah. I mean, obviously, we, we we're in the kind of process of doing this as well. But like, you're talking about some pretty sort of meaty stuff. Yeah. It's not just as simple as going up and doing a TikTok dance to um, some like Megan Trainor song. It's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know, maybe <laughs> I'll do that. That's a good idea. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I actually remember when I told my parents, because um, for context, when I started doing TikTok, it was for my uh, degree, for my second year of one of the modules, oh, okay. because I studied during the pandemic. And one of the uh, th- uh, one of the modules, we were supposed to engage with politics and the wider community. But because of the pandemic and the rules that were in place, I studied in Leicester. So in Leicester was under quite tight restrictions. Um, mm-hmm. We weren't able to do the module the way that they wanted us to do it. So we were allowed to use social media as a way of engaging. So that's kind of how I got into doing TikTok. My next question is, sort of going to relate to the next couple of questions but very recently you came under a bit of flag right yes you you posted a video about shimmy mabega I did, yes. and most of it everyone agreed with but there were yeah. certain elements people disagreed with yeah but i really admired your response to that which was yeah in the realms of politics really really rare coming out and apologizing saying look people have told me i'm wrong yeah and I've done my research and this is why I think I'm wrong. This yeah. is why I've changed. Well, that's just, I mean, that's essentially like how a lot of this works. I mean, like the, the, when I knew, when the, that news about that Shamima Begum's appeal to have her citizenship uh, reinstated was rejected, I knew I was going to talk about it and I knew that I was going to address it. And I knew because of how sensitive the issue is, it's, it's a difficult topic to navigate as I have mm. found out um, and really trying to figure out how to do it. And I had everything scripted. Uh, and I do the video, I post it, um, and then a few weeks later, it comes under it comes under flat quite rightly um, with that one aspect. I think everything else, I, I couldn't care what the what the racists who are like, oh, you know, you know, death penalty and all that. I couldn't care what those people mm. think. Mm-hmm. Um, but the criticism was coming from the sort of the left wing of, of the political aisle, and usually when you see that you've been stitched, you don't know what to expect. Um, Mm -hmm. I've had some stitches where people have done articulate thought out, uh, points as one of the, as a lot of the people did who stitched me with that, with that video. Um, Mm -hmm. there have been other ones where, you know, someone's just farted into the camera, you know, it's, it it can be hitting. (laughs) Um, you laugh, but that has happened. Um, so, and with this one, like I listened to the points and I thought, I'm making the same points that that you've made, but it's that one mm-hmm. clip where basically I said, uh, for context, make an example of a prosecutor, lock her away for life. Um, mm-hmm. When I reflect back on that, it was a very reactionary thing to say, and mm-hmm. I should never have said it. Now, obviously, you say, well, Harry, that's how you felt at the time. And it's like, yeah, that's how I felt at the time. The key thing is at the time. Mm-hmm. When I then went away and I looked more into it, um, and I was like, oh, my God, I've kind of got this wrong. I still think that she, I, I was very clear that I think she is a it is a situation to be solved by British law, that she should be walking yeah. to the UK, still mm-hmm. keep her citizenship because it's illegal to make someone stateless under Article 15 
of uh, mm-hmm. the Human Rights Act. No, not Human Rights, it's common law. UNHCR. Yeah, that UNHCR, one. Yeah. Um, so I was quite clear in my stance on that. Um, whether she is innocent or guilty, I, I don't know. Is she guilty of joining a terrorist organisation? Yes. The circumstances of which she joined it are up for debate. And I'm sure in, in the course of law, that will be will be examined and analysed and scrutinised. And uh, they will the, the jury will come to the correct verdict. Um, but yeah, no, with that apology, I think it was just clear, like saying like, yeah, I got it wrong. You know, mm-hmm. and just being able to say, because like, who does it serve? When, you, when you're wrong, to continue pretending that you're right? Do you know what I mean? Well, for a lot of politicians, it serves themselves. Yeah. Because well, that's what they do. Know. They think, I'm going to dig deeper and I'm going to... I'm gonna. Well, yeah, that's the thing. You can double going. down or you can just go, yeah, no, guys, I got it wrong. Like um, Christian Berry, for example, uh, who mm-hmm. defected from the Tories to Labour. Um, mm-hmm. He Wakeford. came under a lot of scrutiny for comments that he had made whilst being a Conservative MP. And mm-hmm. particularly around, say, refugees, for example. And he has faced those head on. He said, yeah, look, I've got it wrong. And now you can either choose whether to accept his apology and accept that he's changed his views, or you can choose not to. And I think he would be fine either way. I think as long as you make it clear where you stand on a topic now, which is what I said in my apology. I said, look, I understand this doesn't absolve me of any criticism from my previous previous comments. Mm-hmm. I just want you guys to know that my views have, on this have changed. People saying like, yeah. oh, you just, you know, you've, you're only a... Uh, apologizing because you got called out and it's like yeah well that's like 100 percent. that's what we do right that's what calling out yeah. Is. yeah it's like look you know i, I say it's something and someone yeah. says respectfully i disagree with you here's why i disagree with you and if you listen to their points and you go yeah you know what you're you're right i'm wrong you change your stance mm-hmm. who was it that said um when the when the facts change my opinion does is it john maynard kings i think no idea it no, might it might yeah, be kings might be. Oh, actually, it was Keynes. You're right. It was Keynes. I think that part part of the reason we can have the Keynes or Keynes debate in a bit. (laughs) I'm from Milton Keynes. Well, I'm not. I'm not from Milton. I live in Milton Keynes at the moment. It's it's Keynes. That's not a ringing endorsement for yourself, by the way. You live in Milton Keynes. Yeah. I think that's that is the thing about when you work or in the kind of the public limelight. I think the thing is is that you're we're constantly told that once something is out there it's out there there. and i think because of that narrative that's been pushed by people you know just sort of getting into the world of technology and saying oh you have to be careful with what you're saying all that that, that," it leads people to be very kind of like tense about spouting out their opinion now you know obviously this is a very progressive environment because you know we're all very happy to kind of debate with each other we're all gonna sort of like be happy at the end have a share a drink and have a laugh but there'll be some people who you know the keyboard warriors who sit there and go no you can't say that you can't do you can't do this and also the type of people who once you've said something just believe that that is you to a pin and that you have no ability to change yeah I, w- I would say in terms of how my apology was i i had no comments on that video going nope sorry don't accept your apology you this you that mm. a lot of it was like yeah. you know Okay, yeah, the fact that you've actually addressed this and said, yeah, look, I was sorry. It, it'd be very easy for me to take that video down and forget it, forget it, it ever happened, right? But I thought, mm-hmm. who, that, that is a disservice to myself. And especially if I'm going to talk about politicians being, if, if holding politicians to account and holding, holding institutions to account, and then, mm-hmm. yeah, when I'm the one who's being held to account, I just go, yep, yeah, nope, not dealing with it. It's why, like, mm-hmm. with council culture, I, council culture doesn't exist, right? It's just a fancy way of saying scrutiny and accountability. Essentially, what happened yeah. was you had a group of people mm-hmm. in society 
who got away with saying whatever they wanted. And then people started to clock on to the things they were saying and going, hang on, you can't say that. They didn't like being told that they couldn't say that. So they create this term called cancel culture, um, which basically they can throw around. And because of the negative connotations of it, um, you know, that that's the term that is now banded around when really it's just a fancy way of saying scrutiny and accountability. Um, and the same goes for the term woke. Yeah. No, in honestly, reality, woke. it just means, oh, you're well-read and care about other people. The people who use the term woke, it's like, what racial slur do you want to say? Just say it, you know, we can say it together <laughs> if you're scared about saying it in public. People are like, I don't like that film, it's woke. What is woke about it? Well, why is it woke? Like the whole yeah. Little Mermaid discourse. Like who honestly cares? I'm a 22-year-old mm. growing man. I have no interest. And like people who are raging about it are older than me. It's like, why do you care? <laughs> there, are a lot of, there are a lot of people actually up in hand, up in hands, up in hands about um, Roald Dahl, the... Yeah, uh, changing Charlie and the Chocolate Factory's Oompa Loompas into a different character. Yeah. I'm personally a historian, yeah. and if I dig deeper into that, Oompa Loompas were actually historically supposed to be tiny black slaves. Yeah, And Roald Dahl was quite literally doing sort of what you've done, but on a much larger scale in the sense that he believed slavery was okay to put in a book and you got an opinion wrong. Yeah. Um, he He consciously felt the need to change it change the characters as you go through yeah and suddenly people felt that now changing Oompa Loompas in the 21st century yeah. is something so ridiculously woke and they're erasing our culture and erasing our history and that's something I and find if you look at a lot of if you look at a lot of Roald Dahl's um texts you think say like with the witches um Charlie and the Chocolate Factory obviously James and the Giant mm. Peach a lot of the themes is this idea of basically children younger generations making the world a better place by getting rid of something bad um and you know it's that's kind of what you you learn from it and I mean look I haven't read a Roald Dahl book in about 12 years you know I, I why can't. not <laughs> why not <laughs> <laughs> moved on to bigger things percy jackson mate that's what i'm on um, you know it's all about harry potter later um you know i um you know i i honestly you know i i think a lot of this time it's just like it's all part of this the culture wars you know the yeah. culture wars at the end of the day don't matter is the language being changed in charge actually Roald Dahl invented a lot of new words. You look at a lot of the words that he used in text, which I feel like a lot of, you know, liberal Twitter have kind of taken on and just now had the word, you know, like fuck shit, come bollocks into it, uh, with, followed by Womble. Um, because, you know, that's that article. Didn't we say we're not going to swear at this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> not, <laughs> no, sorry. It's fine. It's, you know, it's quite, it's quite interesting. Like a cigarette cup. in the moment going, I'll tell you what's wrong with, you know. Oh, <laughs> You do look like Nigel Farage with the pint in there. In there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's quite interesting. My gums are not receding. Um, yeah. no, they are. But it's quite interesting about the the cultural because I mean, one of our former guests, Tim Bale, we we attended a lecture and he basically said that this whole culture war that the Tories are supposedly invoking is a is a complete myth. Like half of them don't care about culture, but it's a way for them to be electorally yeah. favourable 
with the older generation who mm-hmm. believe that there's this kind of like you know young people are coming in with these big ideas that are going to change the status quo and it's all to do with trans people yeah. and well, and social justice and that's stuff. the thing with like a lot of it and i think a lot of it stems down to if you think in sort of like traditional sort of red bull seats as they're now being referred to and you think mm-hmm. of what happened in those state in those areas and particularly in sort of the 70s and 80s the mass deindustrialization and the effect that that had mm-hmm. on those communities where a lot of those communities matthew goodwin who has a lot of controversial points but i think one of his better points is this idea of the left behind which refers to mm-hmm. generations who suffered from deindustrialization um mm-hmm. under the under the thatcher government under the tory government in the 1980s um where basically uh, both economically and socially they were left behind compared to their southern counterparts which is now mm-hmm. why when particularly in areas like in the south where perhaps um, sort of more progressive ideas are more accepted, particularly surrounding, say, uh, LGBTQ rights, um, mm-hmm. attitudes around immigration, um, areas um, in the North, through no fault of their own, we should add, haven't caught up yet. Um, and yeah. I also think it, in terms with where, um, say, refugees and asylum seekers are placed, there is also an aspect there where basically if they're people have constantly been told these people are coming here to kill you. These people are threats. They're coming here to steal your jobs, but also claim benefits, mm. which I've never really got my head around. I, you know, <laughs> my, my father's an immigrant. He's mm. never claimed on the state at all. And, you know, I know a lot of people who don't. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a complete, it's a myth. But if things, if that's constantly drilled into you and, you know, you don't have the resources to, um, you know, sort of find an alternative viewpoint or, or sort of really understand it. Um, if you're so entrenched in your views, how are you going to get out? You know what I mean? It's, it's 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 very very true i think what we'll do is we'll, ju- we'll just go on to talk about the last thing about social media because something that came out today so obviously rishi sunak has been meeting with yeah. um with uh Oz- ozark is it ozark something like that Oz- I, I, UK, think, I, Oz- 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 Ozark, I think Oz- it's called Ozark, yeah, uh, which Ukers. is I feel like that's not Ukers. Ukers. <laughs> badders, which means something entirely different. And if you don't know what that means, ask your parents. So, um, no, don't ask. No, keep it. No, don't keep it in the family. Uh, if you don't know what that means, <laughs> at the Champagne Socialist and just go and DM him and ask. <laughs> but um, but uh, so Rishi Sunak has been meeting the President of the United States and yeah. the Prime Minister of uh, Australia and talking about world problems and of course ukraine and china has come up and in that security minister tom tugendhat of course he was uh someone who put himself in the campaign to be uh prime minister uh, i think the time when liz won there's been as though yeah he was yeah he was in the running yeah at one point and um uh, he has come out and basically said that we need to have a serious look at tiktok yeah and you know what's going on with data being the supposed claim that data is being fed to the Chinese government and he didn't rule out the potential of restrictions on TikTok I mean this is kind of your brand yeah I mean yeah I mean I I, that's how I kind of got big I think look there is always obviously because it is uh uh, controlled by the CCP uh and it is owned by them there is always going to be that that issue um with with China especially because considering the current geopolitical landscape regarding the the war in Ukraine China haven't Mm -hmm. really publicly declared kind of where they they're kind of on the fence Um, Xi Jinping is meeting with uh, Putin I believe yeah but then you know they've also met with other world leaders it's kind of like being seen to sort of keep the peace you know like when two members of your family are kicking off 
and there's a one member that kind of like meets with everyone trying to like yeah. be like look guys i'm okay um but look i mean like china's always been a especially especially when you consider uh, like taiwan for example uh, mm-hmm. and the kind of tests that they've been doing there the military exercises trying to intimidate the the taiwanese people um and i think biden has been quite clear uh, to china you know stay out of taiwan obviously the us doesn't officially recognize taiwan as a state but they do have an agreement with them where they do um have um sort of military personnel there because um sort of the strategic aspect if a war was to yeah, kick off yeah. between china and the us um look i mean tiktok's not gonna i don't think it's gonna go i think it will always still be there um i think it would be very difficult to sort of take it away because it is so popular and that's the thing mm. it's difficult to take away something so popular once it's been in public domain for for ages um you know you think uh i was trying to think of something to compare it to and realize there's really no proper comparison um but yeah no i i think vine look i mean look if the, vine yeah but then, you know, Vine kind of became TikTok, I suppose, in a way. I was never really into Vine. Perhaps I should have done but that. But I, I think it's a bigger part of foreign policy towards, in the last literally couple of days, yeah. foreign policy towards China has hardened very, very quickly. I mean, and you saw what happened, I don't think, uh, in America with Chinese spy balloons yeah. floating everywhere. And that's that's where I think it's getting a lot more interesting in terms of from the foreign policy aspect, and we can talk about that. I think because everything is so tense at the moment, like it's gonna, it's eventually gonna kick off. If you, if I don't know if you've ever read the work of Mersheimer, but he is what's known in IR terms, mm. international relations terms, as a neorealist, which basically yeah, neorealists yeah. believe it. It is inevitable that states will go to war when you have two competing states mm. in terms of military size and economy. If they continue to grow, the tensions will always rise and it will be inevitable that they will come into conflict. So the US and China are seen as those two states in that situation. It's probably inevitable that they will end up going to war, um, which feels like a very sad thing to say, but I feel like can, the way things are going, honestly, who knows? Yeah. I don't want but them to, that, obviously. But, but what that war looks like, I suppose, is, is up for debate. Kartik, I know you want to talk about the current government because that's your favourite thing to talk about at the moment, as I believe it probably is yours, Harry, as well. So, uh, Kartik, why don't you take us on to uh, that way? So, I mean, there's been a lot. I don't know if you listened to our last episode, Harry, and if the listener's listening now, if you haven't listened to our last episode, go and listen to it. But we talked about the legal migration bill, and there's a lot yeah. going on with this current government. We were talking about the culture war earlier on in this episode and and lee anderson came out today and mentioned that the next election will be fought yeah on cultural war issues and i just want your thoughts on the current government harry you you talk about a lot of specific issues but give me your overall perspective you know i i think look, this government is it's been in charge for 13 years now and they've really mm-hmm. run out of steam you know they can't govern on record because what do they have to show for it well gay marriage legalized in 2013 a fantastic achievement but also done around a lot of western states anyway uh, so it wasn't mm-hmm. like they were alone in doing that um mm-hmm. other than that i can't think of anything else brexit I don't forget about getting brexit done yeah they got brexit done uh you know <laughs> vaccine rollout about five different times. Their, their, their involvement in ukraine which i think a lot of it um, I think the reason the, US, the, the UK sorry, is so involved in, in Ukraine is because of Johnson's ego. 
because if you mm-hmm. consider the political mm-hmm. landscape at the time of the invasion, Partygate was kicking off and the amount of scrutiny he was under for what had happened under his roof, uh, quite literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this opportunity in Ukraine basically pops up for him to have his sort of uh, moment as Churchill, where he can be seen as the leader yeah. of the free world and step in, basically. That's why he's so loved in Ukraine. I, I work with two Ukrainian refugees, and mm-hmm. they were very surprised about our negative opinions about Boris Johnson because they said, mm-hmm. well, you know, he's a hero. He he's And we basically said, look, I basically explained what I've just explained now to them. And you could see the sort of the drop in their expressions as they sort of kind of came to terms with it, really. And sort of the mm-hmm. knowledge that the only reason he was so heavily involved was because he was trying to sort of rebrand himself again and yep. to say, look, you know, look at me, I, I'm Churchill. You know, it's like, no, you're not. You're a cunt, but, you know, we'll, we'll leave <laughs> that out. There's actually, there's there's a book about Boris Johnson. I've literally got it. It's the, the Churchill factor, right I know. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's, fact. it's not yeah. a history book. Don't fucking it's not. <laughs> but, I mean, this, this is a conversation I had. It's a verbal dick <laughs> Basically. <laughs> but that is a conversation I had in episode three with Kat Demchat. And it's a, it's a conversation I had with her in person about, you know, our perspective of Boris Johnson is completely different to yeah. the Ukrainian perspective. And she's Ukrainian and she's helping out a lot of Ukrainian refugees and she's doing a great job by teaching them English so that yeah. they can integrate into British society. British society. Um, and they... She also felt that contrast within herself because she sees people who love Boris Johnson at the time on a daily basis but she also sees the reality in the UK. Yeah. I want to sort of touch on this particular iteration of this government, I guess, yeah. Rishi Sunak, Jeremy Hunt, and everything that's going on. Yeah. How successful do you think it will be? Do you think it has any chance of success whatsoever? In terms of them winning the next election? Or meeting their five pledges, even. The five. I mean, what I mean, what even are the five pledges? I can. Well, I'm, the big thing for soon. Stopping the boats. That's the thing. Doubling, like, halving invasion. Like announcing all these pledges. You know, like Starmer does it. Like no, bruv, nobody cares. <laughs> Just say what you would do differently at the time. Okay, politician mm-hmm. A has said this. What would you do instead? I would do this instead. Okay, fair enough. We know where you stand. You know, this constant like rebranding. Before you know it, he's going to do like an headstone. If you remember that from 2015, yeah, um, yeah. you know, I think maybe that would happen. But with yeah. this government, I think, as as we kind of touched on earlier, they're they're leading on division. I mean, Lee Anderson, as, as you've already said, has basically admitted the only way that they will win the next election is fighting the culture wars, which basically means focusing on immigration and trans people. Um, now, trans people has just been kind of this new phenomena, really, should we say, in, in the last couple of years. Um, it started with sort of focusing on pronouns. I would imagine most people didn't even know what a pronoun was until a couple of years ago. So say what you want about the trans community. Most people in Milton Keynes, maybe, Harry. Uh, to comprehend uh, English uh, vocabulary and uh, and uh, sorts of language, uh, improve their English language skills. Um, also, I think, you know, the conservative movement has done wonders for... Uh, for, female, for women's sport as well, drawing attention to it, uh, because I imagine most of them couldn't have even given a toss about it had um, mm-hmm. trans women not uh, wanted to partake in it, quite rightly, I should say. Mm-hmm. Not them being so uh, angry about it, but sort of trans women wanting to partake in it. Um, and that's the thing, that's what they will focus on. 
the next election, I, I can I, I, I can probably call it now, the Conservative Party will put out um, attack ads of Labour politicians being asked, what is a woman? And they will continuously post that. Um, you, you mean, look at the SNP debate going on at the moment. Yeah, you know, so I was going to bring that up. That's, that's yeah, the whole yeah. thing. So like, you think like the big things for Scotland, sort of education, health, those are kind of getting sidelined because everyone wants to know what Kate Forbes' view on abortion is. Do people mm-hmm. really... I mean, I'm not Scottish. I don't know if any of you guys are, or if you have any ties to Scotland. No. I would imagine the Scottish people probably don't sort of, not want to say care too much. I think it's important because obviously these are people that you elect. Yeah. Um, but I think because the, the, the debate and the leadership race is focused so heavily on social issues, um, <laughs> particularly around sort of trans people, which only, which is like what, 0.1% of the population? Um, probably even smaller than that for Scotland. Like at the end of the day, mm-hmm. does it matter? They're just people who want to live their lives. Let them be. Mm-hmm. You know. It, it, I, yeah. I, I, and and I've seen independents actually discussed almost very little in, within this leadership debate. I think yeah. it was mentioned that one once. Yeah, um, I, I couldn't tell you any of the. I could tell you where a lot of them stand on, you know, gay rights, trans rights, independence. I couldn't mm-hmm. tell you where they stand on healthcare, education. Um, mm-hmm. foreign policy, I suppose, in, in, well, I suppose that kind of ties to independence, technically. Um, yeah. a sort of, you know, infrastructure, rails, railways, that sort of stuff. I couldn't tell you where they stand on, on those sorts of issues, but, you know, because that's where the focus is, because it would be like, well, you know, they, um, they have a very, they have an uncosted, um, infrastructure plan in terms of, uh, transport, but, um, they don't think that a woman can have a penis, so I will be voting for them. You know, I, I wasn't mm-hmm. going to attempt to do a Scottish tax. I mean- I, 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 my, my kind of thoughts going into because I mean we're very very close to kind of the year away from yeah. general elections, so we're going to get into campaign season very very quickly, and so it is right that we're having these conversations about yeah. you know what all the sort of campaigns look like, and for me, I mean surely Sunak can't be under any illusion that he's going to come out on top in yeah. the next general election. Well, if you look at current well, polling... I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in there because I think actually, from a Labour perspective, I see 25-point leads, almost 30-point leads in some polls, and I think that's very soft polling, actually. And if I, I think if they manage to get their messaging right, it could really, really narrow down the margin. And maybe that's just me being really, really anxious about losing the next general election because I've gone through thirteen. Well, not I've, I've not personally gone through thirteen yeah. years of this, but I've, I've, you know, for the for the time I've been involved in the Labour Party, I have constantly seen losses. And we it's, need to take some jobs, boys. We need. It's to like some it's like me supporting Arsenal and seeing them at the top of the league. I just like I'm so I don't. Yeah, you know, I don't think Arsenal fans know something are even going to win the league. Well. There's like this, you know, City going to catch up. Like Haaland's just going to, you know, fucking take off. Like there's no way, you know. But then Pep always overthinks. Yeah. It'll be playing Ake in uh, in goal soon. Don't worry. Like that's going to that's going to happen. <laughs> but but the, the thing I, I was no gonna... idea what either of you are. Is <laughs> <laughs> a is a makeshift Palace Palace fan. Now um, yeah. the thing I was going to bring up was. Uh, was was about the fact that I I, mean, I kind of called this probably about six months ago. I, I think I said to you, Kartik, that I think Rishi Sunak is going to go into kind of damage limitation mode of obviously, well, yeah. you know, we're going to lose this general election, but we don't want to lose it that bad because, I mean, there's even been some reports of could they even be the official opposition if it goes, if there's such a swing to say Lib Dems? Yeah. 
Well, no, the, the thing is, I feel like with the Lib Dem thing, everyone like looks to supporting the Lib Dems. Everyone has looked at supporting the Lib Dems at one point in their political life, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and then thought, nah. <laughs> you know what? Like when I was seven, eighteen, when I was about eighteen, the first time I voted at a local election, I voted Lib Dem, um, which I'm, you know, not my proudest moment. Um, I then <laughs> voted Lib Dem again in the EU elections, but that was just because um, I wanted strategic. to keep the Brexit party out. So tactical guys, don't shoot me. Um, <laughs> but no, I would say, I feel like, but also when you look at a lot of their tax policies and a lot of their, um, a lot of those sort of finan- the financial policies, a lot of them will be, um, and the restrictions will be ending soon. So a lot of them will be being alleviated, which is kind yeah. of tactical in the run up to the next election. So they can say, yeah, we cut your tax. And it's like, yeah, after increasing yeah. twice, um, <laughs> this sort of, you know, people won't forget like those sort of, you know, you talk to people now who lived through the winter of discontent and they remember it like it was yesterday. They remember those, mm-hmm. those feelings of going to bed um, hungry, cold. They couldn't live. You know, my mother comes from uh, a working class area of Nottingham. She remembers what it was like living under under Thatcher, for example, um, like it was yesterday. And she mm-hmm. will always tell us, me and my brother, we kind of grew up on those stories. So this is a very much anti-Thatcher household. Um um so yeah no people will remember i think that which i think is why they are going to go so heavy on these culture war issues because you know that's where that's where the battleground is to be because they've lost the financial argument the idea that you know they can no longer say labor crashed the economy after liz truss mm. i mean yeah I mean, where do you even start with her watching all of that unfold covering it as well difficult to cover as well i can't imagine what it was like being in the driving seat which implies that there was someone there um yeah. at times it didn't feel like there was yeah, and I think I don't, and I don't want to step on uh, on on your feet here, Carter. But I think, like, what do you? Because we, I mean, we can talk about what the Conservative Party might do to try and mitigate anything. But what does the 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 Labour Party have to do to really kind of like cross over the finish line? Because I I don't buy into the argument of oh, elections are sort of like decided on the kind of the party that loses i think there has to be that fine balance so what do you think the Labour party needs to do in order to win um for me personally i would say there needs to be a clear alternative and i feel like at the moment a lot of people don't really know what the alternative is it's all well and good saying we are not the tories but then any any political party can say that they are not the tories and before you know mm-hmm. it, you're voting reform um you know <laughs> it, it's a clear sort of Making that clear, I mean, look, I voted for Keir Starmer to become leader of the Labour Party in 2020, and I was very much convinced he was going to be this breath of fresh air. As the years have gone on, I have, uh, my enthusiasm has sort of dwindled, but I think that's just because my own personal circumstances. I definitely think he will, I think a lot of people will look at him and think, yeah, I can see you as the next Prime Minister. Um, that doesn't exactly fill me with dread, which I feel like is, uh, you know, not really saying much, but you consider some of the prime ministers that we've had, um, you know, it's a kind of a breath of fresh air in that, in that sense. Um, I definitely think again, clear alternative, um, look at the issues that actually matter to people, try and avoid the culture wars, which I think they're kind of having to get bought into, particularly around immigration. Um, you look at the situation with Gary Lineker, for example, and they're constantly referencing saying like, you know, his tweet about Nazi Germany. It's like, he just, he didn't actually say Nazi Germany. He said 1930s Germany. Um, mm-hmm. so deeply, deliberately misrepresenting what he was saying, because that's what was being reported. And then, you know, kind of saying we, we wouldn't have used, I wouldn't have used that language. You know, I wouldn't have done that. And then when the public mood switched in favor of Lineker, suddenly it's this constant, it's this flip flapping. 
Stop mm, flip-flapping. You are not Neymar. Stop flip-flapping. You know, Florentino <laughs> Perez is not going to bid 45 million euros for you. You know, just stay like... Carter's really confused. Say what you want about the previous... <laughs> say what you want about the previous... Um, uh, it, say what you want about the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn, but you knew where he stood on issues. You knew what, what his stances mm-hmm. were. A lot of people couldn't tell you where Starmer stands on a lot of issues. A lot of people say he's abandoned his uh, leadership pledges. Um the constant uh, rebrand of Labour seems to happen every other week. People no longer have an interest. But then you can also say that, you know, for politics nerds like us, we focus a lot on this sort of stuff. For the average person, they focus on politics once every, you know, five years when there's an election for six weeks. And then that's when the focus takes place. Um, yeah. See, so they will base it was... on those on that six week ca- on that six week campaign, um, not on the last uh, four years. I was going to jump in and ask you a question because you're right. Most people actually just focus in the last six weeks before a general election or when it's announced. And that's an issue. And to be honest, at this point, I'm basically leaking the budget because this goes out on Friday and we're recording on a Tuesday. But I can guarantee you the NHS workforce policy that West Treating has been working on is going to be nicked in the spring budget tomorrow morning. Yeah, I know that for a fact. And the issue with that is a lot of policies that we can come up with or that we have in our back pocket, if we put them out there, they will frankly nick them because they're well, that's the thing. I think you can say, particularly with say with like with Boris Johnson at the last election, you think the Conservative Party under him in 2019, obviously they were advocating for Brexit and a lot of the sort of xenophobia and racism associated with Brexit. But then look at levelling up, for example, which was a very sort of like socially and economically progressive policy for a Conservative Party to have. And mm-hmm. obviously they adopted that to sort of win over. Um, red wall seats say look we will level up your areas we will make you as good as, as the south if not better has that happened has it not um no. you know but then obviously that they'll say well you know covid and it's like yeah but covid was just an excuse you didn't want to we heard sunak we caught sunak in 4k saying that he was undoing formulas that gave funding to deprived urban areas as he so eloquently put mm. it and giving it to com- very much comparatively better off areas like Tunbridge Wells, um, which is not to say that areas like Tunbridge Wells don't deserve funding, um, but if you're undoing formulas, uh, that you know, sending all the I, I don't live too far away from Tunbridge Wells. It really doesn't need that much funding. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's the thing. But then there's this recent story that's been dropped that I covered the, uh, today, actually, which um, at the time of recording, about the fact that he upgraded his um, local area's uh, energy. Uh, I saw that. The reason yeah, he upgraded yeah. it was because his local his private swimming pool. Uh, produced so much energy heating it that it required to upgrade the system. So it's not like he did it out of the goodness of his own heart. It was like, well, it's a bit, bit cold in here. And it's also like, why are you, you know, it's just, those are the stories. And it just shows you how out of touch he is. I mean, like, can you blame him? He's buff like £750 million. You know, mm-hmm. I can't imagine what it's always... to be like that. How can you? How I can always you... reference that he's worth more than Drake. Uh, you know, that's oh, just wow. the thing. It's just, sorry, what did you say? Yeah. I, I said I always reference that he's worth more than Drake. I know, yeah, that's that's the thing. Like he, he is absolutely minted. Now, obviously, you can argue that a lot of his money comes from the fact of who he's married to and who and who um, uh, Mrs. Murty's uh, father is. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, the, still, the point: like, how can you be expected to understand how the average person feels? Which is why, when you hear them go, like, "We understand the struggles facing working people," no, you don't. I don't understand no, don't. the struggles facing. So, how on earth are you? Hmm, but. One thing, and I think we're going to kind of wrap things up here. One thing that you do understand is 
about getting involved in politics. And the way that we always end our podcasts is basically sort of your advice to getting into politics. And we've had lots of different responses from lots of different types of guests. So yeah. my last question to you is, Harry, at the Champagne Socialist, what is your advice to young people out there? My, my, my advice is always from the start is start reading a newspaper. That's where I kind of started, always reading a newspaper. That was something that was drilled into me and my brother from a young age. Um, there was always a copy of a newspaper on the table um, on a Saturday and Sunday, and we were expected to read at least one of those papers. Um, and we would be asked questions about it later on in the day to make sure that we'd read it. Um, now, guilty, it was The Guardian. Uh, but, you know, uh, you know, it, there, there were other different papers as well. Mm. Um, but, you know, and sort of, uh, sort of start your reading from there. Um, you, you know, like I, I mean, I read a variety of papers. I do have a Telegraph subscription, but that was only to cover the lockdown files, which I've seen. You know, I took that out and I was like, oh my God, why am I doing this? Why am I giving these people money? Um, but I wanted to be able to accurately cover it. Um, I would stay away from tabloids. I, I think, you know, tab don't bother with tab the sun, scum. Well, yeah, I literally said that. I put that on the side. Yeah, no, I just read a newspaper. Yeah. I put, um, don't read the Daily Mail, son. That being, I mean, that being said, <laughs> sometimes it's good to. I, I sometimes use their articles just to prove how batshit some of the things they say are. But yeah, I mean, I to reference say, just how mental it is. Yeah. With to another thing, though, particularly if you're on, uh, regardless, is don't feel like obligated to read theory. Don't be ob obligated to read like long, dry, dusty texts about political theory a lot of them were written in the 1800s by people who were coked off their tits like you know it, it, <laughs> it, you, you will struggle i i studied it at degree level i never wanted mm. to do it again because i found it so dry and dusty and i just thought you know what i look at what's going on at the moment and reference it there there can be a snobbery about it oh you haven't read so and so and it's like but who, honestly bro who cares um so don't feel like morally compelled or intellectually compelled to, to read um read theory I would say oh, have an open mind. Always have an open mind. Be prepared that some you may be very sure of your views, as I have learned, um, and then find out actually no, you're wrong. The best thing I would often say to people is if they want to engage in political discourse and debate, is be open to changing your mind. You may change your mind on topics that you've been very sure of your whole life, and you'll find that actually no, I was wrong. Um, I would say in terms of. Um, I would also say in terms of discussions and debates, don't be afraid to call people out. Um, the best thing I think you can actually say to people is, what do you mean by that? Which was something that was taught to me at university. I said uh, something in a seminar. My lecturer said to me, what do you mean by that? And he completely <laughs> confounded me because I had been thinking this for the last how many years, never been challenged on it. And he was the first person to challenge me on it and I folded. And I would often say that is one of the best things that you can use. If someone says something, just say, what do you mean by that? You know, just really find out what they mean. And you, they will find as will you, that they have no idea what they're talking about. Um, I would definitely say if you're going to do, uh, you know, political content on TikTok, it's a very, it's a minefield. You know, there'll be times where you think a video will bang and it doesn't bang. There'll be times where you do yeah. a video that you don't think will do well and it does really well and you're like, oh, I didn't think that one the whole way through. Um, also in terms of... Um, you know, TikTok can sometimes take your videos down for the most random reason. I am banned from going live on my main account uh, for Unity. Um, don't ask me how, because I have no idea. Um, <laughs> Got gone to your lives. <laughs> yeah, no, like, honestly, like, I was wearing, man, I was also, had, I had a hoodie on and they banned me. It was weird. But um, 
yeah, I guess that's the main thing. Keep an open mind. Um, just keep at it. And don't be afraid to challenge people. Also, like, don't go in with this attitude of, like, trying to own people as well. I think that's yeah. so... With the whole, like, debate discourse post, like, 2015, you know, like, feminist rec compilations and all that, like, it doesn't help anyone, you know, you know, go in with the mindset of having a discussion and, you know, you may come out and find that you've changed someone's mind or your mind may have been changed as well. And there is nothing wrong with changing your mind. Um, you know, that's how we le- live and learn. But yeah, that's yeah. what I would say. So, Harry, you have a podcast coming out as well. I do, yes. It's called... It's Quickly called Not To Get Political and I'm very excited about it. I'm working with a fantastic team of guys who work for a company called Advert. And, um, you know, they are amazing people to work with and what we're producing. The aim of uh, Not To Get Political is sort of to delve... Is delve a word? It's basically yeah. to look into, yes, the, uh, into the world of British politics and really sort of analyse and scrutinise it. Uh, we're going to be having guests from the, for, uh, across the political spectrum on to uh, discuss the various topics that are going on. So our first guest for uh, TikTok is, uh, no, for, TikTok, for the podcast, sorry, is uh, Patsy Stevenson, who you might know as a women's rights activist, um, mm-hmm. who featured, sort of burst onto the scene. Sounds like Michael, Richard, Michael Richards. Um, when um, the Sarah Everard um, vigil happened, mm. she was the uh, the woman who was pictured uh, being arrested. And we're going to be interviewing yep. her uh, this Thursday, talking about uh, women's rights and discourse surrounding that and about that sort of moment and sort of uh, how she got political. That's the whole thing. We, I want people to know how people got political and to um, take inspiration from the, those people's journeys. Um, so I'm very happy to get that started and um, it's available on all places where you can get your podcasts. I've got to get used to saying that. And um, yeah, I'm, um, <laughs> you get I'm used very, to it I'm very, very proud quickly. of it and um, I'm looking forward to sort of entering this sort of next chapter of my uh, sort of political journey. Yeah. Well, this this has almost been like your, your practice run. Yeah, for, I've been for, doing a lot of practice runs day. recently. I've never, you know what, this was a good one because this is the first one where I've actually drank doing it. <laughs> helps, a, helps a lot, my friend, helps a lot. There was Harry, a point where I was, like, blah, blah, blah. I was like, Harry, you've had one beer. <laughs> you know, you haven't even finished it. Yeah, Harry, it's been absolutely wonderful having you on the podcast. Uh, Thank you for having podcast. me, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, no, it's been a, it's been a really good uh, podcast. As ever, you can find us on all of your podcast uh, streaming services and uh, you can see uh, exclusive little video clips on uh, TikTok at Politics on Draft uh, until TikTok gets banned if it does get banned and in which I don't know that's the end of Politics on Draft Uh, uh, once again uh, you've been listening to Politics on Draft with me James Table and me Kartik Sawney and we'll see you next week on Politics on Draft see you later bye bye (laughs) 